Eating healthy is a common goal that people strive for, but it can be tough when life gets very busy. Being able to eat healthy on the go is becoming more and more important. That's why I'm here today to tell you about G2G Protein Bars, the best protein bar for eating healthy on the go. It is all natural and made with fresh ingredients, like homemade, but better. G2G Bars contain 18 grams of protein and are gluten-free. With eight different flavors, you'll be sure to enjoy many of the great tastes that G2G bars have to offer. They are fresh, healthy, and delicious. Get yours today at g2gbar.ca or at your local retailer. G2G bars, you will taste the difference. Welcome to Huddle Up with Matias Bueno. Sit back and enjoy stories and insight from sports icons from all over. Welcome to Huddle Up with Matias Bruno. Today's guest is Canadian television producer, Dan Glavin. Dan, thanks for being on today's episode. I'm really excited to get into the nitty gritty of how you have created a wild and wonderful journey through this industry, as well as talk a little bit of hoops, you know. Well, it sounds good to me, Matias. I'm really glad you invited me to do this. And uh, yeah, I mean, I I guess I have had a, a pretty... A uh, unique time uh, co- being able to cover sports and basketball in in Canada. So I want to take it back to your earlier days of working in the industry. You were a Ryerson student and were really into basketball when you were in high school. But at the time, though the Raptors were still in their infant years, it wasn't necessarily as popular as what we would know today. Mind you, they were kind of on the apex, I'm guessing, around that time with Vince Carter and the, the slam dunk contest was the next year. What made you love basketball so much, especially because it wasn't really something that Canadians adored just yet? Yeah, it's uh, it's a great question, and it, it's something that I've, um, I have been asked, and I, I've wondered myself. I mean, what was it that got me started watching basketball, following it, and even playing? I remember being about even 10, 11 years old. And, you know, when you're, when you're that small, it's, it's such a challenge just to throw the ball uh, hard enough just to get near, near the rim. Um, So I wasn't really much into playing it. Probably when I was about 12, when I was about 12 years old, I went to uh, Crescent school um, in North Toronto. And as a 12 year old, a grade seven student, I went out to the, to the tryouts and, and I made the team. I already knew that I liked Magic Johnson. Um, I had seen pictures of him on magazine covers. I was already a sports fan at that age, mostly following hockey and baseball, um, as any Canadian kid would in, you know, in the early 80s. Um, but by the time I started playing for the, the under 13 team at, at Crescent, now I'm, I'm like starting to pay attention to the NBA. And I know who you know, the Lakers and Celtics are and Larry Bird and Magic Johnson and Dominique Wilkins. And we're just following it. And next thing, my, my best friends at my school are the guys I play basketball with. We're playing at recess. We're playing in the, in the winter with a tennis ball instead of a basketball because there's too much snow and you can't dribble. And it just kind of took off uh, from there. And by the time I was a teenager, um, I had just studied so much about basketball. I was a, you know, like a hoops junkie and encyclopedia of basketball knowledge, debating students and teachers in the school. And, you know, even though the Raptors were not even a, a glean in somebody's eye yet, 
Uh, there, there were a group of us at, at our school who, who saw the cool factor of basketball. And, you know, this is the time of, you know, magic and bird and handing the torch to Michael Jordan. You know, by the time I graduate high school, um, you know, the, the year I graduated high school, Michael Jordan won his first title. So already basketball was gaining in popularity, even in Toronto and Canada, Raptors or not. You know, people were wearing Jordan shoes and everybody knew who he was already. Space Jam might have been out by now. And I don't know. I just found myself loving that world. The NCAA tournament uh, contributed to that as well. It was These were just such amazing TV events. And, you know, one thing a lot of people don't know is the NBA was doing exhibition games in Canada. Um, I remember going with my dad to games at uh, Maple Leaf Gardens in Toronto, Cops Coliseum in Hamilton. And when, when those games um, became available, you'd see an, an ad in the Toronto Star. And I'd say like, you know, in my teenage voice, hey, dad, let's go to these games. And, you know, I, I was fortunate enough that that he was interested in going. So, you know, the, the Raptors weren't there yet. And basketball was a fringe sport if you were a fan in Toronto and in Canada. But, you know, as a teenager, that was probably part of the appeal as well. I liked the fact that I was into something maybe that not everybody else was. And during that time, you mentioned Michael Jordan. And, and even if you think about the last dance and everything that really went into explaining the historical, the cultural significance of those Bulls teams and what that really did to just send basketball to the moon in terms of popularity overall, because any person that grew up in the eighties knows the bird Johnson rivalry and knows the importance of the Celtics and Lakers history. But at the same time, that was just coming off of a decade in which the NBA was in serious trouble of they didn't know how popular it would be. And then the merger with the ABA and there was too much parody which I find is one of the craziest paradoxes of all time in sports is that people, unless you're fans of popular teams will always say, Oh, well, it's not fair. It's not exciting to see super teams and big teams win. And that's why I don't like, I don't like Kevin Durant going to the Warriors, but the way that the league thrives is by there being controversy, by there being super teams, by there being storylines. And that's what the bulls did with Jordan. Finally getting over the hump of the Pistons, winning three finals in a row, going to play baseball, coming back, and doing it again. And it's so crazy to think of how that popularity has spread and really affected and just injected itself into the culture, sports culture here in Toronto, because you look now everywhere, Raptors gear is everywhere. People like watching the Raptors. The fan base has grown like crazy. Obviously winning the finals kind of helps, but when was a moment that you really knew that basketball was the thing that was going to take you far in life? Because you talked about, you know, the television events and the influence that that had with the March Madness tournament. But was there a specific time when you were like, okay, this is something I will literally die on the hill for no matter what it takes? I mean, great question. I, I don't I don't know that uh, there was ever a moment that I felt like I was going to go far in life. I, I don't know that I consider that I have to this point. I still have high hopes for, my, for myself. Um, I will say that... Um, coming out of Ryerson, I went to the graduate journalism program. Um, I had spent uh, a few years at, at Western, um, where I found myself volunteering for the student newspaper. And I was actually writing more entertainment stories. Um, I, I was reviewing 
albums and concerts and you know, I'm still into that. But when I was a, a college student, that that was really my focus. Um, but every year March would roll around and a couple of us would write columns about March Madness and, you know, make our predictions, which, of course, never come true. They don't for anybody. Um, but when I went to journalism school and it was time to look for a job, uh, it, it pictured this is now uh, when was I looking for a job? So it's 1999, spring, summer of 1999. Uh, the score has just opened. CTV Sportsnet has just opened. TSN has been around already for probably about 15 years at that point. And I, I'm, I, it's time for me to get a job. Um, I don't know that there was really much in the music scene. And by that point, I, I didn't really understand how to make a career in that. But I knew that I could fall back on my basketball knowledge. Um, I had the 80s and the 90s stuck in my brain. I knew everything that happened. I could tell you what years Jordan was the MVP. What year did Carl Malone win the MVP? How many games did it take San Antonio to beat the Knicks in the finals? Like the, these things were just in my brain. I don't know why they stuck there. And I also noticed that on these new Canadian sports channels, the basketball coverage was minimal at best. And I just figured to myself, there might be opportunities there as a basketball person. Looking back on it, it was probably a big risk because it, it was more indicative that they just didn't really want to cover basketball. But I figured by being involved, I could maybe help bring it along. So um, I had, uh, I know I sent a, a letter. Uh, the first guy who hired me was, was Scott Moore, who's actually a legend in Canadian broadcasting. Uh, He'd be a great guy for you to interview, by the way. Um, and I, I know I sent a really detailed letter to Scott about how I'm going to be your basketball guy. And I know this and I know that. And I've read this book and I read A Season on the Brink and I read Dick Vitale's autobiography and I know college. And I just when I got the call to come in for an interview, um, I felt like at that point, yeah, I mean, I'm, I know I'm going to have to be open to all sports here and I happily will be. But. I'm going to push myself as a basketball guy. Sure enough, very soon after I started in July 99, Team Canada was playing in what was then called the Tournament of the Americas. Now it would be the FIBA Americas. And Canada had to finish in first, second, or third to get the first Olympic qualification since 1988. Sure enough, the team with Steve Nash, uh, Rowan Barrett, Sherman Hamilton, um, qualified in Puerto Rico. And I happened to be cutting the game highlights that day. It was on CTV Sportsnet or maybe even CTV at the time. I, I can't remember. So by the way, I still have the tapes of that game. Um, so now that's, that's maybe a moment where I'm realizing there is a future here. Um, Steve Nash between Steve Nash on team Canada and the NBA and Vince Carter you know, he had just finished his rookie season. You could see that, okay, people can't, they can't ignore basketball anymore. This is about to become a force in our country. And it just feels like the most opportune time for me to become attached to it because there really isn't anyone else right now who wants to. Most of the, most of the, the people I was working with were more interested in NFL football, NHL hockey, and even golf. So I, I really just knew at the, at the bare bones beginning of my career as a 26 year old, um, 
you know, junior, junior, junior to the junior producer at CTV Sportsnet, I had the knowledge and I let everybody know this is what I want to do. And I got opportunities. And especially in a moment like that, where you realize that something special is brewing with basketball in Canada, you can really see sometimes how, oh yeah, the NBA got two NBA teams or the NBA gave two teams to Canada, but it almost seems like still to this day, there's some part of me that's convinced that there's a slight against basketball from or in Canada from the US. Now you look at what happened with the Grizzlies, right? Oh, people, they they love them, et cetera. But at the end of the day, poor management, finances, et cetera. And boom, they're gone in five years, six years. And they're off to Memphis, who, again, very small market for an NBA team. But anywhere you go in Canada, I will give you a million dollars if you can find Memphis Grizzlies merchandise anywhere in Canada. You can't. Anything that is Grizzlies related is all Vancouver. And it's almost like, the Raptors would have maybe suffered the same fate had it not been for someone like Vince Carter. Now I know that there was the whole Raptors, Vince Carter beef in 04 and going to the Nets and you name it, the whole nine yards. And then the, the reconciliation, but say what Raptors fans can say what they want, whether it was back then when they didn't like him or now when they've reconciled Vince Carter deserves to have his number retired for the fact that his iconic influence on basketball in Canada carries at least 50% of the reason as to why there is still a Canadian NBA franchise. And you look at what he did with the teams that they had after a, a short run of not being good and rising very fast. Canadian basketball is such an important part now of our country's sports fabric. And to see those moments where you know that it's not going to be able to be ignored. And even when the Raptors on the verge of winning the finals, and the Warriors, and or I mean, the, the refs find a way to, okay, well, we're going to delay this and drag it out. And Mike Breen sounds unenthusiastic. Canadian basketball is here to stay. And to, to hear that you were there at the birth, at that turning point where you knew that it was starting to go up the mountain, I can only imagine how much of an incredible impact that had on your love for basketball. And now looking at everything you've done, it's just so crazy, I'm sure, sometimes to reflect on, on where you were in moments in history like that. Well, I uh, look, I appreciate you uh, putting me into that kind of historical context. Um, I do. I, I have to ask, am I allowed to disagree with you on this podcast? For sure. Yeah, you can. Disagree. Okay. Um, I love Vince Carter. Okay. I was a fan of his when he was playing at North Carolina. Mm -hmm. um, he was on two, maybe it was maybe three years of teams where it was him, Antoine Jameson and Quite honestly, you and I could have been the guards on that team. Vince Carter and Antoine Jameson as college players dominated so hard. They were so incredible to watch. They would go into, you know, Cameron Indoor at Duke and just dunk on these people. And, you know, Vince's dunks in, uh, in the NBA obviously are incredible. His dunks as a 19-year-old player for North Carolina were like silencers. People had not seen a level of ability, jumping ability and power um, like they did when Vince Carter was a college student. They lose in the final four both years, 97 and 98. Uh, one year, I think they lost to Andre Miller in Utah, and maybe one year they lost to uh, Arizona, the Mike Bibby Arizona team. I, I might be wrong. 
have one of your fact checkers look it up. But Vince comes to Toronto and yeah, okay, he was he was famous here. You know, Damon Stoudemire contributed a little bit too. Mm-hmm. And I just, for me to have your jersey retired, you got to win something. It's not enough for me that he was the first builder of the Raptors here. He isn't the only reason it was there. Um, what about all the people in the original ownership who moved mountains to get a Toronto franchise here that we now all can enjoy? Mm-hmm. Are, should they be retired or, or you know something like that? Like to me, you retire Kobe Bryant's number. Mm-hmm. You retire Magic Johnson's number. You retire Kyle Lowry's number. And I, I can guarantee you no one will ever wear number seven for the Toronto Raptors ever again. And he should get a statue as well. Vince Carter, that number 15 has already been used. Amir Johnson wore it. Jorge Garbajosa wore it. And as as much as Vince contributed to the early popularity of the Raptors and therefore basketball in Canada, his departure from the team gets forgotten. But I was there. In fact, the night he was traded to the New Jersey Nets, we were in Indiana and I was sent back to the hotel from the truck to interview him. And I knocked on his hotel room door and I'm like, Vince, and I had interviewed him several times before. I'm like, Vince, can you, can we do something, you know, maybe a thank you to the, to the Raptors fans and put, put it up on the broadcast. Well, you know, he, he didn't want to do it at the time. I get it. He, he wanted his first public thing to be with the New Jersey Nets, but people forget how difficult that was for Toronto fans. The team wasn't playing well. They hadn't been to the playoffs since 02. Vince was great in the 01 playoffs. In 02, he he has injury issues. The team loses like 11 in a row. They're eight games under 500. They're 30 and 38. They shut down Vince for the year. What happens? Antonio Davis puts the team on his back. They win nine in a row, get to the playoffs, lose to the Pistons 3-2. Okay, and, and if you go back and look at that, I, you're... There's no way you're old enough to have seen it live, but that was some of the feistiest basketball I've ever seen in Toronto. Like every game was decided by two or three points. I have seen highlights of it it, though. Watch it from beginning to end. Those games are super intense. And plus the Toronto Detroit, that was a rivalry at the time. The following year, the Pistons win the title. So that was a damn good team. Um, Vince then gets traded to New Jersey. And a couple of years later, he comes back as a New Jersey net and kicks the Raptors butt in the playoffs, beats that Chris Bosch team, Jose Calderon. Why would you retire the number of the guy who kicked your ass in the playoffs? It just, it, it's just not something I would do. I would not retire Sidney Crosby's jersey in the home of the Toronto Maple Leafs. Uh, so for me, it, I he is without question one of the original builders of the popularity of basketball and the Raptors in Toronto and in Canada. There's there's no doubt about it. He was awesome. He won the slam dunk contest. He was an all star, and and they won one round in the playoffs. You compare that to even what Demar Derozan did on the court. Demar Derozan's achievements are more. They're bigger. And to me, as, as I speak to you today in April of 2021, the only jersey that I feel 
deserves to be retired is Kyle Lowry's. And listen, I, I and everything you've said is completely true. And I mean, I guess the way that I look at it is more so in terms of, and, and this is again, always up for debate. And do I think they will eventually retire it? Probably not. But I think that, you know, regardless of where a person would stand on the matter that he is without a doubt, like you said, a person that has iconic influence on Raptors basketball, basketball in Canada, especially during the time he played. But you are right in saying that, you know, I would retire, retire Kyle Lowry's number first because you do have to win a title really to first, have that, that level of first and um, only, my dude first and only. I don't think there's anybody else right now who deserves to have their Jersey retired. Oh no. Especially, especially just Kyle. Like, I, yeah, I mean, just Lowry. Like, Kyle Lowry over everything. Like, you know, maybe yeah. his number three, maybe his number three Jersey too, if you really want to get, <laughs> really want to get funny with it and dicey, but, but for sure the evolution of Kyle Lowry, no question. Like he has the greatest track record of any Raptor in team history by a hundred miles. And even though everything that Kawhi did was super important. And I think that Raptors fans should always be forever grateful for what he did in Toronto. Like we were saying before we, before we started recording, or like I was saying to you, I remember being there when Lowry was first on the team and him wearing number three and Bargnani wearing seven and the, the 22 and 60 and all the, th- and watching his evolution from even the jerseys, the way they changed and him getting blocked by Pearson in the 13, 14 playoffs in game seven to, to potentially win it all and how gut wrenching that was, but how it was a continuous building block up and up and up the ladder and the way that he grinded the way that he led the team and the way that he's been there through thick and thin, makes him for sure the greatest rapper of all time. No question. I will never debate you on that. No way, no how. Again, if, if I even saw on Twitter the other day, people debating about, oh, should Pete Rose be in the Hall of Fame, right? Like that's just a matter of, of stance on integrity or morals or, well, person who's done this should never be in the Baseball Hall of Fame. I don't care how good they are. Or a person could say, well, they're this good, so they deserve it kind of thing. Right, like you could sit there and debate this or that. But when it comes to someone like Kyle Lowry, there's there's absolutely no debating. Like it's it is pretty black and white at this point that he is the greatest Raptor, like winning a championship for a team that up until they started making the playoffs were, I think in the bottom five or six for winning percentage in NBA history for all franchises. That's, that's pretty impressive. And considering the fact that they had to overcome so much being down to nothing to the box. I remember the whole 2019 playoffs, it almost seemed like it wasn't real because I'd been there through, Oh, um, you know, missed buzzer beater over and over and over. It was the first buzzer beater I ever witnessed for the Raptors as a fan was DeRozan's, you know, double team fadeaway in the corner against the magic in Orlando. That was the first one I witnessed. And it, I remember when my brother and dad and I watched it, we were just, we sat around for like three seconds and they were like, okay, now we can actually celebrate because all we've ever seen is Chris Bosch. Oh, steals the ball layup for the win. Should have dunked against the Warriors. Uh, when I think when Curry was on the team in 09, I think it was 09, 10 or 09, one of those years. Missed all like, all the heartache, all the things they've gone through. And the fact that Kyle Lowry was there through the heartache and like 50 cent would say, you know, joy wouldn't feel so good if it wasn't for pain and everything the Raptors experienced in terms of pain, there's a laundry list of it. And I'm sure that you probably have a big poster. You could put a big poster up in your apartment of all the things the Raptors fans have experienced that are bad, but all the things that Kyle Lowry has, has brought to the team in spite of being on that list of so many bad things is just, it's truly remarkable. Like, I don't know when we might ever see someone like Kyle Lowry ever again in Toronto. Like he can never be taken for granted. 
Well, yeah, I, I don't think he ever will be. I think he'll always be remembered and celebrated as one of the greatest athletes in the, certainly in the history of Toronto and probably in, in Canadian lore. Um, but, you know, there's, I think you're already seeing, you know, Fred Van Vliet is kind of models himself after a Kyle Lowry and, you know, maybe a, a guy like Malachi Flynn does too. And Hey, maybe the Raptors, you know, maybe they make the playoffs and go on a run this year, or maybe they win the lottery and they get Jalen Suggs or Cade Cunningham or some other uh, outstanding prospect. And, you know, in basketball, things can turn around very quickly. You never know who's going to land here. And, you know, I think one day there will be another celebrated Toronto Raptor. And that, that's when people will look back and talk about how, how great Kyle Lowry was. You know, it could be 50 years, 50 years from now, but, you know, it'll happen one day and all that is history and, and it never goes away and it can never be taken away from anyone who was there and a part of it. And look, I, you know, you and I are, are in agreement. Lowry is, is the greatest. He's the Raptor. I call him the Groat the G-R-O-A-T, the greatest Raptor of all time. And I have no doubt in my mind that he gets the first Jersey retirement and probably gets statue treatment as well. Now, speaking of, on the topic of basketball opinions, you will offend or you will defend with your life. Besides Kyle, Kyle Lauer being the groat, what is another basketball opinion that you will die on the hill for? Like no matter what, like you will defend it with veins popping out of your forehead. Well, I mean, I've done it many times and it's, it's the Michael Jordan versus LeBron James debate. And what it, it kind of comes down to now is old person, me, young person, you, um, your generation favors LeBron James. He's who you've seen. I've seen Michael Jordan and LeBron James. Um, and to, to a lot of people, a lot of basketball fans these days, um, you know, Jordan's just been the name on the shoes and like, yeah, he won some championships and some some scoring titles. It, it wasn't until The Last Dance came out that people really saw a glimpse as to what this guy brought. Um, I and I'll admit it's getting close. Mm -hmm. LeBron is really building a resume. But that said, LeBron has um, different has had different opportunities. First of all, being he had Jordan before him to kind of open the door, not to mention Kobe Bryant as well. But there's some accomplishments that people forget about Jordan. You know, LeBron went straight from high school to NBA. Um, Jordan played two years in college, maybe three. But as a freshman, wins the NCAA tournament, wins the Final Four with the game-winning shot. Okay, that, that starts it. That's 82. In 80, so it was 84, so it was three years. So he left as a junior. In 84, as an amateur, goes to um, Los Angeles, wins the gold medal in the Olympics as an amateur. Uh, LeBron did not, did not do that. LeBron's first Olympics is 2004, where he won the bronze medal. You know, th this is the thing. Michael Jordan doesn't do bronze medals. Michael Jordan does gold medals. He's 6-0 in the finals. He won two gold medals in the Olympics. Um, and like, you can say Jordan is the best without being a hater of LeBron. I think LeBron is at worst, the third best basketball player of all time. Very possibly he's second, but to me, Magic Johnson and Kobe Bryant are still in the conversation. Um, but I also think that LeBron just athletically has gifts that, 
the other players didn't have. He's, he's had the benefit of a better sports science, uh, fitness programming, um, diet, whatever it else it is, you know, and then, so Jordan misses three prime years because he's in college. Then he misses two years because he goes off to play baseball. If he, if Jordan has those five full years, that's probably another at least 10,000 points. He's probably ahead of Kareem as the number one scorer. And chances are he's got eight rings. You know, he could be eight. No, I mean, if you put the bull, that bulls team up against um, the Rockets, those two years, 94, 95, I got the bulls winning those. And then Jordan's one has won eight in a row. And then we're not even talking about this anymore. You know, um, Jordan made Scottie Pippen a better player. I'll never say that Pippen was just a side, you know, a, a side man to it. Like Jordan doesn't win it without Pippen and Rodman helped and other players helped considerably, but LeBron's had a ton of help. You know, like look at the Lakers, the one year before Anthony Davis, they don't even make the playoffs. Suddenly Anthony Davis is there and they win the championship. So again, that's not hate on LeBron, but it, it goes back to my heated argument and my intense belief that Jordan, based on only one thing, winning, is the greatest basketball player of all time. And while I acknowledge that LeBron is getting closer and closer, and I like LeBron more and more now as his career goes on, I will argue to the end of time that Michael Jordan is the single greatest basketball player that ever walked the face of the earth. And Dan, I 100% agree with you on that. And even what the way you mentioned it too, and the points you bring up, I think are it's, it's pretty hard evidence. Like I know people talk about, especially more so in my generation, I'm more of on the side of Jordan and LeBron. And while LeBron has definitely gotten better and definitely done some incredible things, I'm not hating on LeBron. He's still such a fantastic player and obviously has been afforded more opportunities in terms of the evolution of the game, the same way that it's not really, not really fair to compare the pioneers of sixties and seventies basketball that maybe while it's fun to make fun of the way they shoot and on footage, they paved the way for people that came after them too. Right. So you have to kind of pay respects to the people that, that did lay the groundwork and lay the foundation. But at the same time, yeah. I mean, I know people who love LeBron talk about, Oh, well, well, the Oh seven Cavs had nobody. And he dragged these teams to the finals, man. They lost to the Mavs. Like, I don't care how, like, I don't care. You talk about like, like, Mavs were a good team, like really good players and a good coach. Like they were fantastic, but like people talk about LeBron as if he's impeccable. It's like, well, if he was so untouchable and so amazing, like, then why didn't they just do away with that team? Now, obviously not discrediting the Mavs. They were fantastic. But again, it, it was almost like that was maybe a necessary step in his career to really get to that next level. But you look at Jordan left to play another sport to try to play another sport professionally. Wasn't even doing anything with basketball. Came back in another three-peat. Like, especially in light of the fact that there was friction with the management and there was uncertainty with Phil Jackson and with Scotty and all these sorts of things. And the fact that he was able to come back, bring the band back together. And again, Scotty Pippen's not just a side piece or Robin, like they're important players, but the way that Jordan really impacted his teammates is just so otherworldly, especially against some really tough opponents that they played in those finals. Right. That's right. Absolutely. They, they, the bulls had to get through, well, not really the Celtics, but yeah, I mean, they had to get past the Pistons. The Pistons were the ones who had to get through the Celtics and the Lakers. I mean, we're talking about some historically great 
NBA teams. Um, you know, the Celtics from 81 to 87, the Lakers the same time. And then, yeah, the Pistons really become a force probably from 87 to 91. And then it's the Bulls in the 90s. And, uh, you know, I, uh, we ha- I was going to say we've never seen a team like that again. But, you know, those Lakers teams that uh, the Shaq and Kobe Lakers that won three in a row was pretty awesome too. But uh, yeah, no, you're right. There, there's, there's an argument to be made about it being more difficult than free agency was not as much of a factor as it is now. You, you know, Jordan couldn't go out and just build um, the, you know, some super team like LeBron has done really, you know, three times now. So um, you know, again, it's, it's, it's a good argument. I enjoy it. It's got the historical context to it. LeBron is still an active player today. Um, but for my money, it's Jordan. And that does not mean I hate LeBron. I'm very comfortable saying LeBron is the second best basketball player of all time. And to me, that ain't hate. That's bestowing a ton of praise on somebody. Cause even that, you know, you're putting him ahead of Bill Russell, Will Chamberlain, these guys from the early, the earliest days of the game. Um, and it's, you know, that's a, it's a big statement. It is a big statement. And, and I look at someone like Will Chamberlain sometimes is a bit underrated in terms of how much people talk about him or his impact. And everyone talks about old rings and Bill Russell has all these rings, but man, like Wilt was putting up video game numbers in an era when no, like no such thing existed. Now, obviously the shot clock and, whatnot hadn't had an effect but i i find that will chamberlain is one of those people that maybe deserves a little more buzz around him than than he might get maybe uh, people remember the 100 point game but will was pretty unstoppable during a time when there weren't that many people putting up otherworldly numbers the i mean will chamberlain he's to basketball what Vince Carter, maybe people argue is to Toronto basketball. I mean, Will Chamberlain was such a dominating force. You you mentioned the 100 point game. The dude averaged 50 points a game. Um, And off the court, he was just even more legendary in, in his personal life. He, when he played for Philadelphia, he lived in New York. So he would um, commute from New York to Philadelphia to play the games and then go back to New York because that's where the nightlife was that, that he required. And he was just so dominating as a player the, the I guess if anyone's, if there's a knock on Wilt, which is ridiculous, I don't know that he, he, you could say he had a basketball skill set, like say Kobe, LeBron, Michael Jordan, even like a Dwayne Wade. I mean, LeBron, like Wilt, had post post up moves and he dominated inside, but they weren't used to a, a seven foot two guy, you know, give the ball to Wilt. And he, you know, he had all the moves from there, but you know, was he a jump shooter? Could he have hit a three? You know, I, I, I don't, I don't know these things. And even then, then Kareem Abdul-Jabbar comes along and in a lot of ways, he's even more dominant than Wilt. And, but he had a, a more of a finesse game. Mm-hmm. And, you know, with the sky hook and Kareem was a good free throw shooter. And he was pretty good, at least earlier in his career, de- defensively with the block shots. And, you know, um, Kareem Abdul-Jabbar, I believe, as Lou Alcindor, wins the NBA finals as a rookie and then goes on to win five more with the Lakers. So, you know, he doesn't get his due either because these guys are are from far removed eras and they're just not 
you know, they're not talked about, you know, Kareem's last championship is 88. That's 33 years ago. The mean age of, of a really um, involved basketball fan these days is probably aged, you know, 14 to 25 kind of thing. It's, you know, it's, it's younger people who start the, the obsessions with sports. So why would they know about Kareem Abdul-Jabbar and why would they care? But to, to people who really study the sport and who are interested in history, there are players who were just as dominant in their era as what we see from, from the great players today. And it, it honestly, it's like that in any sport you look at, you know, I was talking to somebody about tennis the other day, and you look at how Federer, Jokic, uh, sorry, Djokovic and uh, uh, Nadal have dominated tennis for like at least 15 years. I, I can't even think of anyone else. Andre Agassi's before that era. Like who, who has won a grand slam in the last 15 years, other than those three guys, it they're, they're just so much better than everybody else. And I just think that's a natural course for sports. That's true. And I mean, I brought up Agassi because I guess like the last person that was dominant before that era, like was, you know, was him or he was one of the people that was dominant, but yeah. Yeah. Tennis has a great example. You look at, I mean, uh, I think Andy Murray's won a grand slam in that time. I think maybe if I'm not maybe, mistaken, yeah, he might be the outlier, but I think he, he won probably only has one. I think he won Wimbledon in 2012. Yeah, I think you're right. I think you're and right. I think and, uh, those other guys have won Wimbledon five or 10 times each, or, you know, one guy's always wins Wimbledon. One guy always wins the Australian. One guy always wins the French. And, and there's just there, to beat them, the, the confluence of, of factors that have to happen. Um, it's almost too much. Yeah. And especially someone like Rafa, I was saying this to, to a buddy at work the other day. I don't know if there's a more single or a more singularly dominant athlete in one event in almost all sports than Ra- Rafael Nadal at the French open. I really don't like Tiger Woods during his heyday is pretty damn close, but Rafa has lost one French open. I believe in all the ones he's participated in, in like 13 or 14 years, I think 90% of all his grand slams are French opens. And the only one he didn't win, he lost in the final to Federer. And I think that was 2008. So like, well, I think have, we, have we, you, have you seen Chloe Kim? She is an American snowboard half pipe athlete, 18 years old. She wins everything and it's not even close. And when I say everything, I mean, everything world cup, world championship Olympics, I think she was winning events at age 14 or 16, at least she stopped competing because she wanted to go to Harvard or Princeton and they wanted her at school. They didn't want her out on the, you know, this is the most, like what we're talking about, just absolutely unbeatable dominating athletes. She'll win the gold medal in, uh, in Beijing in 2022. She will win every event she's ever in. Or that's go, it. Go back and look. Like that's like, that's like, or like a Michael Phelps, like those, I don't know if we've seen, yeah, Chloe Kim, I definitely gonna have to research that after because I'm not as familiar maybe with athletes from the Olympics per se, but, but I think that again, in terms of, and maybe I'm thinking outside of the scope of, of the Olympics and more so the North American pro sports, like sports leagues, and then throwing like soccer or tennis or the ones that people will follow. But yeah, if you look at the Olympics and if you go down to the nitty gritty, there, there are some outstanding athletes, some men and women that have done 
just some tremendous things. And especially more in recent years, like maybe back then, I don't know if, if because sports has evolved so much that people have just found their way to, to dominate like Michael Phelps, the way that he won or Usain Bolt. It's like, I remember people talking about, Oh, like when is someone going to win or run uh, the first four minute mile? And with how things have evolved since then, it's just mind boggling. If you went in a time machine and told someone before the event, yeah, some guy will be able to run the hundred meter dash in like 9.2 seconds or whatever Usain Bolt's record is. They'd be like, are you insane? That's so impossible. But that's also what makes, again, it influences that conversation about someone like LeBron and Jordan. If they're not in the same era, is it really apples and apples or is it apples and oranges with shades of gray? For sure. And, and that, and that's part of what makes those kinds of arguments fun. There's, there's no real right answer. And th- those are, those are more for people who just like debating and, and arguing because there's no, there is no answer to it. And, and that gives it kind of a silliness to do it, but it's so hard not to, because these athletes are just so incredible and what they do uh, is, is so amazing. And for, you know, people like us who just love sports and, you know, I don't know if you're much of an athlete. I certainly wasn't and I'm not, but I think what these people do is, is almost superhuman and yeah, it's, it's fun, you know, to, to compare to, you could take anything and compare it. I mean, uh, magic Johnson versus Steve Nash, you know, to some people, there's an argument there. Maybe Steve Nash was a better shooter than magic Johnson or hit more threes or was better at the free throw line. You know, that you could take anything in historical context and make the, uh, make the comparison. And it doesn't matter. It's just a fun argument. And that's part of why people love sports and people who love sports tend to get along with other people who love sports. You're hundred percent right on that. And that's what makes it so exciting because just appreciating the feats that so many of these athletes are able to accomplish. And I know in soccer, the big debate is, Oh, Messi versus Ronaldo and who's better. And well, one's older by a bit or one's won a championship and the other hasn't. And the end of the day, you're witnessing two of the greatest athletes to have ever played that game. So right. enjoy it while you can, because eventually it's going to be gone and you're going to realize, oh, wow, I don't get to watch Ronaldo play anymore. I don't get to watch Messi play anymore. Because when I first started watching soccer, Ronaldo was a 20-year-old who took Portugal to the World Cup semifinal in 06. Messi was 18 and got benched against Serbian Montenegro in a game that really frustrated Argentinian fans. And the next thing you know, they're in the Copa America final the next year. And then 2010... Messi's on the scene in an even bigger way because 09 was when he really started to explode with Barcelona. So just appreciating how great athletes have become, I think is something that sports fans in the midst of all the heated debates and the fun that we're having with talking about who's better than who at what don't forget to appreciate how amazing athletes have become in our lifetime because absolutely are super blessed with something that people 50, 60 years ago weren't as blessed with. Well, I, I don't know about that. Um, I, I think you have to appreciate any any era that you're in. You know, if you're going back, uh, let's say 60 years, so we're going back to 1961. You know, that's the year Roger Maris, I believe, hit 61 home runs, which was an incredible number because Babe Ruth had set the mark at 60, and people thought that would never be broken. I, I think every era has its um, its handful of just incredible athletes and great storylines and yeah you know sports fans can appreciate wherever they are at at whatever period of time you know um 
20 years from now, there's going to be an era of people who don't never saw the Raptors win the championship. And they're going to like that day's Raptors. And they're going to say, this guy is the best point guard the Raptors have ever had. And people like you and I are going to go, wait a minute. I saw Kyle Lowry play and Kyle Lowry is the best point guard the Raptors have ever had. I don't care what you say. And people, you know, younger people will say, well, what are you talking about? What did he do? He only won the championship once. This guy won it twice. So it, it, it all, uh, it's all relative. It depends where you are. You know, like if you look at uh, fans of the Phoenix Suns right now, they're probably sitting there thinking this is the best team they've ever had. And this is their best chance at winning the championship. Well, there was that, uh, you know, was it eight seconds or less, the Steve Nash Suns. Uh, there were the Suns, I think, in the 70s had a trip to the NBA Finals. Maybe yeah, I guess, the Cel- I guess the Celtics. Yeah, they lost to the Celtics. Garfield hurt at the so, buzzer, yeah. Yeah, but there, there's a generation of sports fans in Phoenix and in Arizona right now who think, no, Devin Booker is the best basketball player we've ever had in Phoenix. And that's just part of the fun of it. It, it rolls over. There's there's history to it. Um, you know, you, you're, you're talking about soccer. I watched the Maradona uh, documentary, which I thought was a, a triumph of uh, nonfiction filmmaking. And, you know, I didn't really know much about it other than, uh, you know, the hand of God and the, and the 86 World Cup. But when you look into his professional career and that the team in Italy he played for and he, he turns it around single-handedly, but then he has to play against them in that his home stadium in Italy with Argentina against Italy, right? In the 1990 World Cup. Mm-hmm. So in, in those days, you know, there, there is an, a, a generation of Argentinian soccer fans who will tell you, yeah, Messi's great, but Maradona won the World Cup. And he turned around a team in Italy that was, wasn't even in the, you know, top division of uh, Syria. So it, it, it really, it depends on what, where you live, what generation you're in and what sports are there at that time. And I think that has the most impact. And I, I just think anyone in, in any era and any generation, if they're sports fans, there's plenty for them to enjoy regard. You, you don't, you can look at your current sports situation. You don't have to take the history into it and you can just enjoy things in, in the moment where they are again, sorry. And I, I'm, I'm getting long winded here, but Take the Tampa Bay Buccaneers. Okay, I remember when they won their Super Bowl, and uh, I think it was Sean King was the quarterback. Uh, it was. It was. Um, oh, what's his name? It was uh, Trent Dilfer. Something. Yeah, I think I think it was Trent Dilfer because because Sean King was the year after. Okay. Okay. Well, the, the Buccaneers win a Super Bowl in like two thousand or two thousand and one. Okay, Brad Johnson. Brad Johnson. Brad, Johnson. Brad Johnson. Yeah. Wow. I, I see. I don't even remember. And the quarterback wasn't the, the, the story of that team was uh, the coach, which I think was John Tony Gruden. Dungy. Oh, it was Gruden. John Gruden, because okay. he inherited the team from Tony Dungy. That was the That's big right. thing. That's right. So they they win the Super Bowl, and you know it was on the strength of their defense and Warren Sapp. That's the name I could remember. And then you know, twenty years later, Tom Brady's their quarterback, and they win the Super Bowl again. Well. What's the greatest Tampa Bay Buccaneers team? Obviously, most people are going to say the team that won it this year. But there's a generation who, when the Bucs won their first Super Bowl, could not believe the Tampa Bay Buccaneers won the Super Bowl. They were losers for their first 25 years in the league. And then they go and win the Super Bowl in that era. And, 
you know, to football fans in Tampa Bay at that time, it must have been, you know, sorry to say this to a Jacksonville Jaguars fan, but, you know, Tampa Bay's, it takes, it takes 20 years, but they win Super Bowls. Yeah. And you look at Tampa Bay, I think of all if, and I could be, you know, we're going to have to get the fact checkers to back this one up, but (laughs) all the major four leagues in North American pro sports, the Buccaneers, I believe have the worst winning percentage out of any of them in terms of regular season winning. And especially it's boosted a little bit because of the, this year's Buccaneers, but especially in 0203 when they won, it was not even close. And anyone that's watched a slew of NFL top tens like myself when I was in high school would remember the creamsicle Buccaneers, the 76, 77 yep. Buccaneers, the expansion box that started 0-26. First year, 0-14. Right. The next year, they started 0-12, won their last two. And then the third year, they won their division. It wasn't called the NFC North at the time, but what I, I can't remember what it was called. But the, yeah, and then they won the division and they had a huge turnaround. But the infamy of how terrible the Bucs were, the Saints, I actually didn't understand. I remember watching as a kid, I'm like, why is everyone so excited that Steve Gleason blocked a punt and the Saints scored a touchdown? Who cares? Whatever. It's just, just another game. Oh, yeah, sure, Hurricane Katrina happened. That sucks. Like, that was really terrible. But, hey, they come came back first game in the Superdome and big play. But when I really dove into this historical context, that play, the fact that from 1980 to 2002, the Saints had had zero winning seasons for 23 years, None. Yet they endured loss after loss. They were terrible. And then the Hurricane Katrina comeback. And the franchise was almost sold to San Antonio, apparently, at one point. And then winning the Super Bowl. That's what makes the historical context of that pain they experienced is what makes it so amazing. And again, you know, Saints fans from the 80s, when they were called the Aints, could say, oh, well, Drew Brees is the greatest Saint we ever saw because he literally delivered a Super Bowl. But then in 15 years, someone could say, oh, well, it was good, but no, but the Saints team is better now, or Alvin Kamara is actually the best running back they've had, or whatever, insert X person that is going to be amazing for the Saints next, right? right? That's that's how it goes. That's how it goes. It's it's so fascinating, and again, it's what makes sports so fun. But Dan, we're getting towards the end of our time, and I wanted to ask you a few quick wrap-up questions, rapid-fire round to have a little bit of fun before we part for today's episode. Okay. Let's go. Okay. What is something interesting about yourself that not a lot of people know? Uh, I've seen the rock band fish 60 times. <laughs> that is pretty incredible. <laughs> I've seen one. Can't wait to see them again. First thing I want to do. Who would you say is somebody, a celebrity that people, identify that you look like the most uh jim morrison jim real i i never thought about that before but i can definitely see where people would come from with that one <laughs> if you were to swap lives with one current athlete for a day who would it be and why mark mcmorris uh i would love to be the best snowboarder in the world and have that kind of courage and ability um, and just that attitude to just go out there on any kind of snowy mountain and snowboard it and do tricks and flip around and do all the things that the snowboarders do. I think what they do is absolutely incredible. 
if there was one athlete that you could, or I guess two athletes that you could take and make them switch sports for a day, who would they be and why? This is, this, I have to answer this rapid fire. That's a, I mean, uh, right off the top I, of your head, I don't even think about it. Like let's just swap sports. I'd love to see a, a big, um, like defensive end in the NFL. I, I can't think of any by name, but I'd love to take one of those guys and have them play goalie in the NHL and stand in front of the net and take like pucks flying at them at, you know, 140 kilometers an hour and see if they, you know, how many pucks they could stop or how much it hurts. Uh, so I don't know. I think that would be, that would be pretty interesting. Um, I don't know. I don't know if this counts, but I'd love to see Charles Barkley like in a boxing ring and like get to, you know, throw punches at someone, but somebody gets to throw punches at him. Well, maybe for your first example, you could take Aaron Donald and switch him with Jack Campbell and see, see how Jack Campbell fares against an NFL lineman and then see how Aaron Donald's probably the strongest player in the NFL and one of the strongest athletes, you know, playing there you football, go put him in between the pipes yeah. of the leaves. that would that would be amazing let's get aaron donald up to canada and put him in net i would love to see that i would love to see that too and the final question that i want to ask you rapid fire is what is the greatest game of basketball that you have witnessed in between the time when you were a teenager to before you became an adult so between 13 and 18 what's the greatest game you ever witnessed in person or on television? Either or, it doesn't matter. Um, so by the time I was 18, so uh, look, I, uh, I was lucky enough to go to the final four a couple of times as a teenager with my dad. Um, and I, so I'm going to say 1988 NCAA championship game, Kansas against Oklahoma, Kansas, uh, that team is called Danny and the Miracles, Danny Manning. Um, They were like the eight, six, I think the sixth seed. And they came in there and basically on their home floor in Kansas City, uh, they beat an amazing Oklahoma team that had like Harvey Grant, Stacey King, Mookie Blaylock, and Danny Manning scored 30 points and basically single-handedly beat them. And it was one of the last final fours in an arena. They're, they're all in domes now. And it was just, uh, that was just the most amazing game and the most amazing experience that I, you know, I was only 14 years old at the time, but it was, uh, definitely something that blew my mind and has stuck with me and really informed my, my life and my career ever since. That's so incredible. And one of the things I love the most about talking with people who have watched NCAA games, especially ones that happened before I was born or was watching sports is to understand how many more crazy games and upsets and memorable ones there have been. There was a previous episode I had with Dave Naylor and he was talking about a crazy, I can't remember Syracuse versus somebody, or was just some game that happened? Pardon? Syracuse, Indiana, 87 has to be. Or, 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 no, or maybe, it's not, maybe it's not Syracuse I, or was it he, he was talking about a game that went to overtime oh I have oh. to look back but a game that goes to overtime and and there's no way this team was going to win I think it was maybe even like in the mid-2000s I I have to go back and listen but he was talking about like how there's no way this this team was going to win and he goes to the presser after the game he's covering it and 
and ask the coach like, well, well, what did you say to your guys in overtime? And, and oh, it's going to be all inspiring. It's like, man, honestly, I thought we were done. And they came through and they won in the end. And I, I, I have to look, but look back and see what it was. But again, those stories, regardless of the teams in the game, there's those stories from March Madness, I think are truly underrated. And especially like we always remember the ones from the current year, but to go back and look at the laundry list of all the ones that came before us is even more amazing. I agree. The, the history of, of NCAA basketball um, is just, it's just so intense. There's so many incredible finishes, upsets, and players that went on to amazing things. The, the, the history of that is, is, is un, it's unmatched. Well, with that, that is our time for today's episode. So Dan, I want to thank you for having been on. It was such a great pleasure to talk all things sports with you. Lots of basketball, lots of great historical context topics, debates. It was just so fun. I I could literally walk into a black hole having a conversation like this with someone like yourself and you could just be gone forever and ever. But this was truly a really fun experience. Thanks so much. I really appreciate it. Thanks for having me on. It was a pleasure. Well, thank you for listening to today's episode with Canadian television producer, Dan Glavin. First and goal from the one. This is it. Stiegel. Thanks for listening to today's episode of Huddle Up with Matias Bueno. Check out our social media pages for more at huddleup underscore MB. For full audio, head over to Spotify and Apple Podcasts. For full video, head over to YouTube at Huddle Up with Matias Bueno. Tune in next week for another great episode. See you next time.